0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: In a quiet suburb on idyllic Vancouver Island, she was a promising young real estate agent showing a million dollar home to a pair of eager new clients. But what happened next shocked the town and has left investigators without answers for a decade and a half. What led to the young woman slaying and why was she targeted? This week's episode is The Unsolved Murder of Lindsay Buziak, Part 1. Well, this case is, a uh, like you said, there's uh, a lot of evidence out there, but a lot of pressure to get it right because this has been called by her local papers in her area as the case the internet got wrong. Yes. When you say, like you
2: said, that was a conversation that we had, just the two of us. I'm giving so. you credit.
1: <laughs> I'm like no giving you credit.
2: But I'm just saying for context, if everyone's like, did I miss something Christy just said? Christy said. I it. was saying... So many podcasts have done this topic in Dateline and a ton of shows that there's been a lot of wrong information out there, which has come to light over the years. So yeah. we're we're hoping that we have gathered all of the correct information to give
1: a well-rounded picture of what could have happened right? and what and- did happen. You 'll probably notice that that paper we refer to as Capital Daily, which is the local Vancouver essay local but it's it's covering this not just in a podcast but in long form journalism and in the courts they've actually gone to court to have things unsealed, so they have become kind of this go to repository of Police information, but then you have people on the internet or even family members saying, Well, whatever, sometimes what the police says, we don't agree with. So trying to comb through it all. And we've learned from other cases that sometimes what the police says
2: is not the correct information. There's stuff going on where their connections are made and, you know, people are covering stuff up for whatever reason. Is that the case here? I don't know. But this is going to be a three-parter because there's so much involved with it that we really wanted to be able to cover everything.
1: Yeah. I didn't want to skip over stuff that especially it could be, it is unsolved. And they, I mean, as recently as last year, I saw detectives from this uh, precinct going, we have nothing. I mean, help us out. We're trying, but please, it's going to take, an experts that have weighed in, this whole case, as you're listening to it, they've said- It's going to take somebody saying something or somebody having seen something and coming forward. So I think that's why get every detail out. Maybe, maybe something will help. That and possibly retesting evidence that at the time the technology
2: wasn't there to get what we needed. And maybe now it would be. And in reality, while this did happen, you know, 2007, that isn't that long ago for a murder That is this heinous to go completely unsolved.
1: And um, out of the blue, you will hear about, I mean, a little bit of background on Victoria, which is the area on Vancouver Island and this specific neighborhood. We'll talk about Saanich. It's a sleepy little suburb. They said there's one murder a year, that it's very uh, beautiful surroundings, lush greenery and relaxing and also kind of everybody knows everybody. So it's relax. you know, it's kind of, you wouldn't have, okay, I have to be on high alert because it might be a dangerous situation I'm walking into at any moment. It's like, no, it's a nice Island, a beautiful place where it feels like a community and like home. And like, you can trust being alone with people. By all accounts, the neighborhood is gorgeous. And it's, I'm sure that this rocked
2: their foundation for many reasons. And I mean, even in a, place where maybe crime is more prevalent something of this nature doesn't sit well with people because it's just you know in one the person or persons that did it are still out there and two she wasn't doing anything but her job and it was
1: ended up being the worst day of her life and her family's life yeah and everybody around her a best friend of hers said this doesn't happen here stuff like this does not happen here but it did so. And what we what I've learned over the course of doing this show is,
2: much like death, crime can be an equalizer. While it certainly can be more prevalent in certain areas, stuff like this, while you would think this could never happen here. It can, in this case, is proof
1: of that. Right. And what happens when you have a very small law enforcement organization now faced with a very difficult case to solve, which we said in the title, it's still unsolved, you know, 15 some odd years on, that that might be a reason why somebody may target an area like that, because you think, okay, uh, I can... Do a what would might be something solvable in a larger precinct with maybe way, way more resources since this is such a small area, such a small town, taking advantage of that. Well, before we get into it, we'll just do a quick plug for the tour up top. We're going to be in,
2: oh, we are in Houston today when you hear this. We will be in Houston right now, I guess, when you're listening to this or on our way. And uh, we have a show at the Houston Improv this evening. There are some tickets still available, so if you're in the H-Town area or thereabouts, come
1: on out. Join us. We're going to have a good time. And anywhere else in the summertime we will be all over the country at SinisterHead.com slash live shows. You find yes. us. We'll be there. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Lindsay Buziak
2: was born in Victoria, British Columbia on November 2nd, 1983. Her dad, Jeff, worked in real estate, while her mom, Evelyn, was a stay-at-home mom. Lindsay had a little sister, Sarah, who was three years younger. Those who were close to Lindsay described her as social and supportive of those she cared about. Lindsay's mother described her daughter to Capital Daily, saying that she was Such a happy little thing. She was smart. She was full of joy. During the mid-90s, Evelyn and Jeff got divorced. Evelyn was awarded full custody of both girls. Jeff moved to Calgary after the divorce, where he still lives, working as a commercial real estate agent. After high school, Lindsay also became interested in real estate and enrolled in the UBC Sauter School of Business. During a particular real estate workshop, Lindsay bumped into Jason Zalo, a young man she knew from around the city, according to Capital Daily. Jason was a hockey player and mortgage broker with a real estate license. He was attending the workshop since he worked with his brother and his mom in the real estate industry. Of their interaction at the workshop, Jason told Capital Daily that he and Lindsay...
1: Just clicked... And she was that, that's kind of the thing is she clicked with everybody that her friend said that she was the carry if they were sex in the city. She was kind of everybody's friend and gregarious, outgoing, that selling real estate wasn't really sales to her. It was like befriending this new client and finding something that really works for them. And she loved it and thrived at it because she just liked interacting and communicating and having fun. Yeah,
2: bubbly personality, real gregarious, outgoing, just uh, a friend to everyone. And that's what they said. She had friends from all different social strata, too. Lindsay passed the real estate exam in June of 2006, becoming one of only 20 agents at the time in Greater Victoria, under 25 years old. Around this same time, Lindsay and Jason's paths crossed again. A friend of Lindsay's
1: told the Capital Daily... She really looked up to the fact that Jason was in the real estate industry and that his mom was, too. It seemed like she was happy with his mom and excited to be part of their circle. Jason's mom, Shirley, told Capital Daily that she had a good impression of Lindsay, saying... She was a very nice girl. I mean, she was full of life and always laughing and smiling.
2: Lindsay's friend, Vicky thought the couple was well-suited for one another, given their shared interest and careers in real estate, telling interviewers... They were like a power couple. In December of 2007, Lindsay confided in multiple friends that she was unhappy in her relationship with Jason and was looking for a way to get out. Lindsay's father, Jeff, corroborated this, claiming that his daughter came to visit him in Calgary a month before her murder to talk about her love life and how she was unhappy and wanted to break things off with Jason.
1: In an interview with Dateline, Jason denied there was any truth to this. And yeah, it wasn't just her dad. It was a couple of friends were like, uh, her dad mentioned that she had mentioned her ex and kind of said, ah, you know, I think I miss my ex. And another friend said, yeah, she talked about her ex and described the, if Lindsay was the carry of the group, then this ex was like her Mr. Big, like kind of the one that got away. They'd Mm -hmm. been together five years. His name was Matt, you know, together a really long time. And you're only with this new guy, like 18 months. You know, I'm sure it does. Your brain goes back to like, oh, well, how it real, you know, how it was for so long and they had a stormy yeah. relationship so you know it's one of those where if you're you and your ex were always like dramatically like breaking up making up you know and this new thing's just kind of putting along you're like oh, i miss that
2: you might get a little bored if if you like the dramatics of that i wish i knew more sex in the city references to compare what jason would have been i'm trying to think right? of the one that was the lumberjack
1: Oh, oh, was that Aiden, the furniture yes, maker? Yes, Aiden. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe he's more so of so. Jason's Aiden. Aiden in this, in this metaphor. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it seems like it, it was. Yeah, and it now was. Oh, what's the Josh mankowitz Was he pressing the Sex in the City analogy a little hard on Lindsay's friend? Certainly, it certainly seemed like yeah. it uh, because she just sort of offered it of like we we're a couple of friends. He was like, like Sex in the City. Which one would you be? And then she said, Do I have to answer that? And then he went. Well, which one would Lindsay be? And then she was like, "Oh, Carrie." And he was like, "Okay." She's like, "I'd be Samantha." but I don't want to talk about <laughs> She's it. Like, right I'm now. not trying to answer it right now. <laughs> I get it. He was trying to like, but her eyes got kind of big. It was like, mm. "She was put on the spot." Yeah.
2: <laughs> Any feelings of wanting to end the relationship seemed to change after Lindsay went on a trip to the ski resort town of Whistler with Jason and his family. Shortly after returning from her trip to Calgary, the vacation seemed to reignite the relationship with Lindsay telling her
1: friends. We had such fun in Whistler. This was the perfect thing. We needed to spend more time together.
2: Like any relationship, you go through ups and downs. So they may have been going through a patch, and then, you know, you go on a vacation, kind of that love is sparked again, and and things get better. So at this point, it
1: seemed like things were on the the upswing. Right? And that's what it seemed like if... Even if you were kind of going through a rough patch and saying, you know, I don't know, I'm not too sure about it. Something about a little getaway when it's just y'all, or even if it's y'all with friends, but you get some time away from every day. Because I think, yeah. especially if you're not only working, both working, but both working in the same industry with the same people, and something like real estate where it's like, run over here, get that paper. You're you might be barking orders at each other versus like, let's cuddle by the fire in Whistler. I have never been to Whistler, but I've heard it's
2: Beautiful. So, being in a serene, you know, ski resort place like this, I think it's a salve for anybody that's maybe going through something. Definitely. The problem with that stuff is once you get back to reality, you know, after a couple
1: weeks or something, it's going to go back to how it was. Right? The problems are still there. The stresses come back. So, mm-hmm. getaways, it can be a reset, but then you also have to do other things once you get yes. back. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like a band aid. Lindsay was
2: working at a REMAX realty office with Shirley, Jason's mom, when she received a surprising phone call in late January 2008. A number with a Vancouver area code called, and on the other end was a woman with a strong accent. According to police records, Lindsay described it to colleagues as a Strong Mexican or Spanish accent. In an interview with Dr. Phil, Lindsay's dad Jeff said his daughter described the caller's accent as Hispanic, but it didn't make sense to her. It didn't sound real. Well, here's where things are going to start to get weird. And yeah. what I really take away, and there's absolutely zero blame on Lindsay's part, but we're going to see that from the beginning, she had a feeling something wasn't right about this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very good reminder That especially as women, if you get that feeling that this just just doesn't seem right, trust your gut and and go with it.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think you want to also like when you're a real estate agent, your job is to face the public and to interact Mm -hmm. with people and to in some cases where you're like, I, I, this is my, how I eat. I got to make the sale. And so it's hard. It's sad, sad for her. Cause you're right. I think her gut was right. But you're also like, she's like a rock in a hard place in this case. Mm-hmm. Like I have to take these calls and I need to go meet these clients. It is a potentially
2: dangerous industry when you really think about it. I mean, you as an individual are meeting people, you've probably never met before at homes in wherever area, you know, the home's, Oftentimes they're completely empty, so you're kind of taking a risk every time, and you know we all operate under the societal rules of well, this is a industry where this is what we do, and so we assume there's a certain level of safety with it, and I think that also allows
1: people if they want to do something wrong or bad to to prey on that, right take advantage of a known you know this is a way in mm-hmm. I think you're right.
2: The woman on the other end of the line told Lindsay that she and her husband were soon moving to the area as her husband had just been transferred to Victoria. The couple required a large million-dollar home as soon as possible. For a newly minted real estate agent like Lindsay, a call like that could end with a huge commission. Still, Lindsay was suspicious and asked the woman how she found Lindsay's contact information. The woman told her a satisfied client, who happened to be a colleague of her husband's, had provided Lindsay's information. The woman told Lindsay she would give her more information when they met for a showing on February 2nd at 5.30 p.m., a time the woman specifically requested.
1: And 5.30 p.m. in February in that part of the world is pretty much dusk. Yeah, yeah. The sun is setting and it's going to get
2: dark. Pretty soon. And the real estate industry is an industry where so much of your business depends on referrals Mm -hmm. and past clients referring you. However, she's so new that she doesn't have a ton of clients. So to be told, especially with this big cell. Oh, somebody referred us.
1: And to not give a name right then is very sus. And this is one of the points of contention where stuff that the police and Capitol Daily discovered versus what her dad has said diverges because from what I could tell from police reports, what was written down, she didn't get a name. Her dad claims that they, in a subsequent phone call, did give her a referral name and she did try to reach out to that past client but didn't hear back you know, just in time, like they, Mm -hmm. it was a Friday, you know, it was a weekend. They basically are like the client, this new mystery client on the phone called her and said, we need a house in like two days. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, okay, I called my previous client. You're not going to wait for them to call you back to take the deal. You know, you just move forward. Not miss a big sale like that. Yeah. Yeah. You move forward. And this
2: mystery client also immediately comes into it, putting the pressure on of, you know, we have a very small window of time, so it's, you don't have a lot of time to, Maybe do your due diligence the way you your gut is
1: telling you to because you got a million dollar commission looming over your head. Exactly. And on that time frame of like, you're going to miss the sale if we don't move in the next two. I need to see a showing this weekend. And you're like, Mm -hmm. okay. Lindsay was thrilled at the prospect of the multi thousand dollar commission. Shirley told Capital Daily. I remember her coming into the office and telling me she was all excited because she had a new client that was coming into town. Lindsay described the woman and her husband as Mexicans to family and colleagues.
2: She wrote notes of the call in her day planner.
1: One million new three bed, three bath, large master bedroom, housekeeper, separate area for housekeeper. Five thirty needs to buy in two days. She then
2: saved the woman's number in her phone as million dollar. Lindsay would speak to the clients on the phone about 10 times over the following days
1: and i mean i think that you would it sounds like a pretty normal sale aside from the the quick timeline which you can't blame her cuz she said oh my husband's being transferred so it's aside from it being a lot of money very quickly it's like oh they gave me a lot of details perhaps so details that narrow it down to one house that she can show them and they know that and that's what it seems like to me is that this description was meant to fit something very specific her dad i believe claims they gave they gave Lindsay this address but the police and others have said no Lindsay said oh there's three houses that fit that but really only one fits it and it's 1702 D'Souza, souza and yeah. that's where they meet sinister head will be right back with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere
2: According to police records, Lindsay was in contact with the woman again on Friday, February 1st. She emailed some potential properties to the couple who had specifically requested vacant and new houses. In the evening, Shirley visited Lindsay and Jason's condo. During the visit, Shirley overheard Lindsay speaking with the woman, confirming showings for the following day. Although Lindsay was excited for the showings, she was also juggling personal plans with some friends for the same weekend. It was her friend Deanna's bachelorette party out of town, and the showings threatened to encroach on the time for the weekend getaway. Shirley offered to show the house for Lindsay, or if Lindsay would rather, either Jason or his brother could do the showings. Lindsay declined, insisting she could make the showings and the girls' weekend both work.
1: And I'm sure if you're new and you're like, and her friend uh, that was interviewed on investigation discovery is called still a mystery. Her friend said she was extremely driven. Her sister said the same thing that her goal wasn't just, Oh, I'll kind of get into real estate and sell it, sell it. That, that, She had been at it since 06, you know, licensed in 06, coming up on two years. And they said she was like, I want to be in multi-million dollar real estate. I want to have my own office eventually. So she was really driven. And so that soon into your career, being offered the opportunity, like now I sell million dollar houses, you probably don't want to outsource it to your boyfriend or his brother. You know, you want to do it yourself.
2: Well, especially if you're working with your boyfriend and his brother and your boyfriend's mom. It adds a certain extra layer of wanting to impress people and not look like you're phoning it in. And, you know, so there may have been an extra layer of like, no, I got to handle this myself to let everyone know that I'm really serious about this job.
1: Yeah. And by all accounts, she was. They said she always answered her phone, always answered her text, her emails, had her available for her clients and colleagues and everybody. So very reachable and driven and like, I'll do this.
2: On Saturday, February 2nd, 2008, Lindsay visited her office between the hours of 3 and 4 p.m. The receptionist later told police that Lindsay was really weird and freaked out about the impending showing. From there, Lindsay and Jason met for lunch at a nearby restaurant called Sauce. Records indicate they finished lunch and headed to their respective cars at 4.24 p.m. So even now, I mean, the receptionist saying she seemed really freaked out. She's really weirded out. For several days now, she has had this feeling of something isn't right about this. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we will never be able to talk to her and ask like, what exactly was said? Or what was the vibe that kind of gave you that feeling? But whatever it was, she
1: did not feel comfortable going to do this. Definitely. And she, in fact, asked a colleague, hey, this is the phone number I've been calling. Can you look up recent sales or any transactions or like see anybody that this is related to? They're like, yeah, I didn't come back to anything. Sorry. Like we don't see. But, you know, if you have a new client that maybe they've been living in their house 10 years or 12 years and got a new cell phone, then maybe it wouldn't come up in the search. But that's still one more thing that you're like, hey, we look this up. And it's like, oh, it's says it's it does no records of it. And you're like, oh, hmm. Like that still makes you feel weird. I think
2: this is also one of those situations where you potentially feel weird, you know something's off, but you can't put your finger on what could possibly happen, like what you're f- scared of. Yeah. Because no one would imagine what does happen is what is going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's not a anxiety or a worry that's easy to label. Mm-hmm. So then you kind of... At least when I get in situations like this, I get in my head of, I don't even know what I'm freaked out about. I don't even know what I'm upset about. Just, you know, like calm down. So you kind of talk yourself out of it and don't listen to your gut because
1: it's not something you can easily identify. You're right in like minimizing our feelings. So Mm -hmm. and you're like, I have a weird feeling in my gut, but then our brains have been conditioned societally to go, but it's probably nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But this is your job.
2: Stop being you're you're new. This is just because you're nervous or, you know, I mean, you wouldn't assume what happens is what's going to happen.
1: No, for sure. And I think, of
2: course, never, never, ever go.
1: Oh, never. Yeah. And I, th- I think you're right. There's zero fault on her part that you just are now seeing the manipulative tactics by these people. And they're pu- they're plucking every single correct string that would, yeah. any of us would have followed on because it's they're plucking on social norms, politeness, professionalism, things that all of us would do if we we're in that situation. Knowing her, that she is
2: going to come because she does have that personality of, I'm going to make all this work. I'm a mm-hmm. go-getter. So yeah, plucking at those strings and knowing her vulnerabilities and what buttons to push to ensure that she's going to show up.
1: And dangling that, you know, on a million-dollar house sale, Shirley told uh, one of the interviewers on Dateline, she's like, it probably would have been a $30,000 commission. Mm-hmm. In a two, and you made $30,000 in two days, three yeah. days since they called That's you? That's what yeah. some
2: people make in a year. So, yeah, yeah it's very it's hard huge. to
1: pass that up.
2: Lindsay headed toward her and Jason's condo to change for the showing, scheduled at 5.30 p.m., Jason, meanwhile, headed to a client meeting in an auto shop called SHC Autographics. While there, Jason received a call from Lindsay, again saying how she felt uncomfortable about the showing. Again, Jason offered to do the showing or to come along. According to police records unsealed by Capitol Daily, Jason told officers Lindsay still wanted to do the showing on her own, as she had a very
1: strong personality and liked to do things herself. But she agreed to let Jason wait on the street nearby for safety. And that, the reason why he was going to SHC Autographics is she had a deal with them and they needed to sign a paper and she also needed to sign a paper. But the only time everybody was available is when she had to go to the showing. So he offered, OK, let me take the papers over there and then I'll come and meet you. And he said we had planned like she can sign them on the trunk after the showing or, you know, before the showing, if I can make it. But he did not get there uh, at that, t- you know, before the showing starts. He's just like out with these. The SHC Autographics trying to get whatever documents he needs. After talking with Lindsay, Jason
2: spoke with his friend, Cohen Oatman, about dinner plans they had for that night. Cohen's cell phone battery had died, according to police records, forcing him to call Jason from a payphone. When the pair met up in person, Cohen agreed to accompany Jason to the neighborhood where Lindsay was showing the house to her million-dollar clients. At 5.30, Jason and Cohen got into Jason's Range Rover and headed toward the seaside neighborhood of Gordon Head. Jason was having difficulty navigating and called Lindsay for directions. As she was instructing Jason how to get there, Lindsay stopped mid-sentence and said, Oh, I've got to go there here. Instead, she texted Jason an address that he was able to use and head toward her. Jason texted Lindsay that he was on his way. That text was never opened. The sun was setting on 1702 D'Souza Place when Lindsay was approached by a man and woman outside of the property. Multiple witnesses say they saw Lindsay speaking with the couple before heading into the house. According to police records, the man was around six feet tall with darker hair, wearing a longer, classy brown jacket. The woman, who looked to be between 35 and 45 years old, had short blonde hair around chin length and was wearing a dress with a distinct red and white swirly pattern. Despite Lindsay's description of the woman's accent, witnesses described the couple to police as Caucasian.
1: And the witnesses also said, based on the interaction, they clearly didn't know each other. They said it was a lot of like handshaking and things. And I find it really interesting that most of the descriptions are this dress, or the bottom half of a dress visible behind, underneath a jacket. And it's this, it looks like kind of a white swirl in between layers of red and black. And we'll post a picture on our Instagram. And it's interesting to wear such a wild looking dress, but it was also one very effective because that's almost the only thing everybody remembers Yeah, is a dress that you can buy at JCPenney or Kohl's or like a mass produced, you know, it's not like it was a custom made or anything.
2: If it was a wild print, that's going to draw your eye to it away from distinguishing facial features or or other
1: things. Because then, yeah, everybody just goes, I don't know. She was blonde, but that dress, man, I remember that dress. Mm hmm. Lindsay used the key from the front door lockbox to enter the
2: house. She removed her heels in the entryway and led the couple inside. Sometime between 538 and 541, Lindsay's Blackberry made an accidental call to a friend she hadn't spoken to in a while. Police believe it was during this time that Lindsay was viciously attacked by the couple. While Lindsay showed the man and woman the upstairs ensuite bathroom, she was stabbed from behind with an edged weapon, according to police reports. Lindsay was then stabbed repeatedly, including stab wounds to her chest and abdomen. She had no defensive wounds. At 5.45 p.m., Jason arrived. His car headlights illuminated the house's front window, showing the male client in the light. Jason turned around in the cul-de-sac to park and wait for Lindsay. As he was navigating the road in front of the house, the couple, who had just brutally murdered Lindsay, fled on foot running out the back door and leaving it open behind them.
1: And that's so eerie because he he says, it, he said there was two people, maybe one person. he said, no, I think it was two. But of course, it's now been 15 years. So I'm sure your memory changes. Regardless, to see an outline in that it was smoked glass. So it wasn't a clear picture. It's just this figure. And thinking, oh, the showing must be going really well. I'll leave her alone. Other reports say that the couple
2: was coming out of the front door. And they and asked what her dad said. Heard yeah. the heard the car and saw the headlights and turned around and ran. So Jason had said, Yeah, I'll show up, but she was very adamant that like she wanted to do the showing by herself. So if you think it's still going on and you're like, Well, I'll just wait out here until it's over. I don't want to encroach on anything, not knowing. If you potentially ran inside when you showed up, who's right. to say if
1: she could have been saved? If she could have been saved or even just stop them or get more mm-hmm. of a description than just the dress and the hair. Out front, Jason had no idea what had happened inside. He
2: waited for Lindsay to finish the showing, but began to worry when she was not replying to calls or texts, and her car remained in the driveway. After a few minutes, around 6 p.m., Jason and Cohen approached the house on foot. Jason tried opening the front door, but found that strangely, it was locked. Lindsay's shoes could be seen laying inside near the front door. Jason later told police he rang the doorbell around 10 times, but got no answer. He and Cohen circled around to the back of the house, but weren't successful in locating an external basement door. Back out front, they checked the lockbox and the doorknob,
1: but found that Lindsay had taken the key inside with her. And that's such a feeling of helplessness because you think, oh, well, there's a lockbox I'll, and locked out again. I mean, every possible entrance is... And you don't want to go smashing it because what if it was just a good showing going well that you've yeah. now busted a window out while your girlfriend's inside with potential clients? Yeah. Jason called his mom's office and tried to
2: see if anyone could make contact with the selling agent, possibly to obtain a garage code. But that late on a Saturday, he was not successful. At 6.05 p.m., Jason called 911 and explained the situation. With the police on the way, Jason and Cohen headed around back again, this time looking over the fence. They noticed the back door was open. Jason boosted his friend up and over the fence before running around front to be let inside. Once inside, the two men made a stomach-dropping discovery, bloody footprints in the entryway. Cohen searched the first floor, while Jason headed upstairs. Only a few steps up, Jason saw Lindsay in the main bedroom, lying in a pool of blood. According to Jason,
1: he ran full speed up to Lindsay and yelled out for Cohen. And I watched a video interview where Jason was talking to police and they said, from the time you saw her to the time you got up there to her, how many seconds do you say would pass? And he was like, two, like two seconds. He's like, he's like, you're taking those stairs four at a time. Yeah, he's like, everything I had in me, I was just whoosh, immediately upstairs. This is also, uh, they; these two men know
2: in their gut that something isn't right. Yeah. And, you know, Jason said in the interview, he called 911 and kind of was just like, This might sound weird, but my girlfriend and I are both real estate agents. She's doing this showing, but she was worried about it. She was a little nervous. I told her I would come and just be here. And now I can't get in the house. Real estate agents take their shoes off when they go in to do a showing. It's not uncommon to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, her shoes off there. He knows that she's at least still in there. She would have put him back on. Yeah, true. And you can't get a hold of her.
1: Yeah, You you just know in your gut that, that something ain't right. Oh, definitely. And the, I think peering in and the seeing the people, and then by the time the next time you come, it's dead quiet, dead silent, and her car and her shoes are there. Yeah. Your gut's like, that's why he was like, I just, I rang the doorbell 10 times and called the cops. And of course, the second call is much more, uh, I've, heightened in the first because the first one's like we're not really sure but he said he was over her body trying you know screaming to Cohen trying to get help there and he said i you know I didn't have a lot of hope but he said he just kept yelling hurry up hurry up hurry up yelling at you know the police vicariously through through Cohen
2: Cohen called 911 again telling them paramedics were needed immediately Jason checked Lindsay for a pulse he found none and began performing CPR on her with no success. He told Capital Daily, I could hear air. Referring to the air escaping Lindsay's body because of the stab wounds. When paramedics arrived shortly thereafter, they pronounced Lindsay dead. Jason told
1: Capital Daily, I think about it all the time. If I was 10 minutes earlier, if I went with her, would she still be alive? That is the what if game that will... Drive you mad. Yeah. And don't play that game over and over because it's, it, he might have been in the same position as her. I was thinking that, you know, if you, what if you had somebody go with you? There's nothing saying that there's, it's, you know, one to one then instead of two on one yeah. that y'all both weren't killed. And if Shirley had gone, would Shirley
2: have been the victim? Yeah. Or the brother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's different camps as to, how this came to be and some camps would say, no, it wouldn't have Mm -hmm. because Lindsay was the intended target Mm -hmm. and other camps say she was a target, but it could have been anyone. So perhaps it could have been Shirley or, you know, if Jason had been there, do they want to take that on? Maybe, you know, they, they back out. There's a lot of what ifs you can play, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because you can't go back and change what happened.
1: That's true. Yeah. It, it has, this is the fate that everybody was dealt. But you're right. He's, Jason was a, used to play hockey or maybe was still playing it kind of with his friends at the time and is a big guy. And Lindsay, her ex boyfriend said, ah, she's 100 pounds. She was a little thing. Yeah. He was no. like, I think 6'3, 240, if I mm-hmm. remember correctly. So big dude. Yeah. Sinister HUD will be right back.
0: Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. No necessary. were prohibited by law. terms and conditions eighteen plus. When
2: police arrived, they immediately cleared the scene and took both Jason and Cohen to the station for questioning. A K9 unit was brought to the crime scene, but was unable to pick up a scent. However, the south side of the house had been, quote, contaminated by law enforcement and first
1: responders, preventing the dogs from searching on that side. Yeah, so I guess if you have so many shoe prints and smells and everything, it just doesn't even matter. And if that's –
2: they went out the back door and some reports say they may have gotten through like a gap in the fence Mm -hmm. and run down that way. And then nobody can pick up a scent because so many people have traipsed over it.
1: That sucks. Yeah, it's almost – it's just each thing that has benefited the killers – has been either planned or very fortunate for them that it just yeah. so happened that that's where all the first responders came through and trampled it. And that's where it's
2: hard for me to think that it wasn't very premeditated and planned because you're banking on a lot of stuff going your way just by happenstance, but, you know, having good luck to complete the worst act a human can can do. Yeah. I don't think you're gonna go into it unless you're pretty confident that you're gonna get away and
1: and it seemed like they even had a backup plan, you know trying to go out the front, saw Jason's headlights. How, I wonder how they got there because I the witnesses said they only saw them walking up. There's no yeah. automobile spotted. So I guess jump out the back and then run around back to wherever your car is or whoever's waiting to pick you up. And that's very sus too, that they didn't have a car mm-hmm. because then
2: that can't be ID'd and there's no driver's license. But you have these million-dollar clients that just walk up to this gorgeous home right? And from
1: It's not like there's a bus stop around. Like, what? what, how'd they get here? And even if they were, like, one would think if they have the the means to buy a million-dollar home in two days, they would be in a hired car at the very most, in an Uber or a taxi at the least. But, yeah, they just walked right up to her. I think that's another um, red flag
2: that this was planned and premeditated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very little forensic evidence was found in the house. No DNA, fingerprints, or hair fibers. A forensic pathologist determined a lone weapon had been used in the attack, but that was also not located. Neighbors saw police canvassing the area, talking to potential eyewitnesses, and using their flashlights to search the dark lawns for clues. Nothing was found. Jason criticized police for wasting time interviewing him and Cohen, telling Capital Daily that it took hours
1: and hours for the questioning to begin. Adding, What they should have been doing is having 8, 10, 12 cars out searching right away. I think that they totally botched the whole investigation in the first day. For his part, Jason was cooperative with
2: police, taking a polygraph test and surrendering his phone and laptop that he and Lindsay
1: shared. And I don't think that Jason is alone thinking that they totally botched the whole investigation in the first day. I mean, if they can't even use the canines
2: on one side of the house because so many people have traced over it, it doesn't appear that the crime scene was secured properly when police first got there. And yeah, I mean, if you show up and the paramedics pronounced her dead when you know right away, There should be, you should have everybody in the area, especially if this is an area where this is not common,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: out there looking right away. If they're on, they're probably not on foot anymore. Like you said, I'm sure there was a car parked down the street or somebody waiting to pick them up. But if you start locking down the city, you know, start blocking off streets to get out of this area and just start searching cars. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's such a heinous attack and so uncommon for this area that I think you got to every measure you can put in place to catch these people. You do it right away.
1: I think so. And I wonder if the issue is that Saanich is so small and it's on the very, very Southern tip of Vancouver Island. And it's, you know, by the, it's part of suburb of Victoria, but it's just small. And you think, Oh, well, well, it's probably the boyfriend that did it. He was on the scene. He's covered in her blood. Let's just interview him first and not worry about searching for these perpetrators. It, meanwhile, it's an island. I mean, shut the ferries down. Cl- True. You know, close it down. Yeah. Like, there's at least that that would help. But I th- uh, it may just be that they didn't have the ability to do that. It gave me Candy Montgomery and the murder of Betty Gore vibes with mm. Wiley police. It is a small town outside of Dallas. It's not saying that it's totally out in the boonies. But at the time when it happened, it was small. And you had this issue where people walked through the crime scene or damaged stuff. And then they had to just say, we need help shut it yeah. down. We're not touching this anymore. And eventually, Sandage Police does that. But I think when you have something like this in a place that small, they should have called it in from day one, but they don't always do that. And like you said, it is the the trope of,
2: you know, the boyfriend, the husband did it. If that's where your mind first goes, I mean, okay. But also, there's a chance it might not be. So you yeah. got to cover all your bases and, you know, the minutes after the crime has happened and, you know, 24, 48 hours, and then it turns out, oh, the boyfriend didn't do it. Perhaps you've caught the
1: real perpetrators in the meantime. Right. And, then you, and if, even if he did do it, he's secured. He's at the station with you. That's fine. It takes True. a couple people in a locking door to watch him go out and try to find other people, too. So, yeah. And the fact that they're on an island is a good point. I mean,
2: shut down the ferries. But if they're not, and those people jump on a ferry
1: pretty quickly and get the fuck out of there, they're gone for sure quickly. And any, they could be going anywhere. Cause it's right on the border of the States too. Mm-hmm.
2: When Jeff Buziak saw his daughter lying in the morgue, he leaned down and hugged her tight. The grieving father later told Dr. Phil that in that moment, he promised Lindsay, he would find out what had happened and who had done this to her. Jeff would spend the next decade and a half doing just that, making many enemies along the way.
1: So what do we think? Well, the crime itself, I think you're right. I mean, it's definitely was premeditated because it's an empty house. So whatever weapon was used was brought with them because mm-hmm. there's no furniture in the house. It's a brand new build, move in ready. And it had been deeply cleaned just the day before the showing because you call up and say, I'm going to do a showing on the house. And the seller's agent goes, we got to make sure it's cleaned and dusted and wiped. The seller had been there at 430,
2: yeah. like just making sure everything looked okay. The seller was an investor that had a lot of homes. And in fact, the entire, like this kind of new community that had been, that this was being built, they owned several homes in that area. So he's over there. He just makes sure everything looks good. You know, we're good to go. He did give his fingerprints and DNA and everything to police and, and he was cleared, but there was nothing in the house. There's no, there's not... Knives in the kitchen, there's nothing, you know, no tools laying around from construction that could have been used. So absolutely, they had to have brought this weapon with them. The fact that they don't have a car says a lot. The whole just not wanting to give the information of who the contact was, how did they get her number? They called the Jason and Lindsay's condo at one point, and Jason said, he told them, oh, she's not here, but I can give you her cell phone. And they're like, oh, we already have
1: that. Well, I mean, how do you get that? You know what I mean? And that's the question is the very first call. That's why it was a bit of a red flag because it was on her personal cell phone, Mm -hmm. not on the REMAX phone. And so when I think when you get that first call through and you realize, oh, it's a referral from someone, which like you said, real estate agents, they live by their referrals and you say, well, if the referral was so close that they gave my cell phone number it must be really a really close referral my cell phone most people a lot of stuff you could google you know that's why i don't ever answer my phone pretty much unless i know who it is but you think but and when i had my own business as a you know when i had my own law practice i had to answer every call it means i had to speak to every yahoo that looked me up on the internet so you're right though the fact that it was her personal cell phone number though i think that is something that's key
2: yeah As far as what I think, I 100% think it was premeditated. Mm -hmm. As far as why, I'm still working that out, what, what I might think may have happened.
1: Yeah, and I think that the plan all along was lure her there. Kill her there and leave no evidence, exactly what they did, and leave no trace. And then I think the plan was walk right out the front door. But to me, I guess because it was dark, they thought they could walk out the front door and there were not that many other finished homes on this Mm cul-de-sac. This was one of, I think, three total finished homes. I even read it might have been the only finished the only home. only finished home. Maybe it was yeah. three plots on the cul-de-sac. I mean, it was... So there wasn't that many people around. So maybe they thought they could just walk right out the front door. Maybe that's why... Because the coat, which will post a picture of... The police have done kind of a reenactment in outfits that the witnesses have said yeah that's pretty much what it looked like his coat was longer and darker so like the a only, trench coat almost like, yeah like and they said it covered like almost past his knees and felt and so i wondered if maybe he wore that buttoned up or closed up while he committed the crime in order to because that's a significant amount of blood and they said the amount of time she was stabbed it was indicated that it was by only one person forensics Once they analyzed it, that it was the moves were by a single person. Mm -hmm. So perhaps the female was a lookout and the male, you know, attacked Lindsay. And then when they went to leave, if he was covered in a coat or was able to put his coat back on to hide it, because I was just like, how would you walk out the front door? But does seem like they've thought of each of these things. Mm -hmm. I would say that coat
2: comes off. Crime is committed. Coat is put back on. Yeah. Because if you walk back out that front door without a coat that is that memorable, that's something people would notice. And also, then you got to dispose of it somewhere. True. So it seems like if you needed to cover up your clothes because you're covered in blood,
1: that that would be a way to do it. That's true. And they said that the footprints in the house did uh, follow exactly what Cohen and Jason kind of said happened. But that... There there was, like you said in the outline, there's just no fingerprints. And that is wild that to think they knew exactly a showing like this. It was just so happened that she was a real estate agent. But in a showing like this, there's not really anything for you to touch because yeah. there's nothing in the house. So what are you going to go stick a whole hand on a wall or a door? So and if you dusted. know what you're about to do, you're certainly not going to do Ooh, that. I'm sure your hands are in your your pockets or crossed mm-hmm. or you know, clutched in front of you. But the footage of the crime scene afterwards that police went in and did like a walkthrough afterwards. I mean, to their credit, they tried to dust everything. There's, you can see the walls are a lighter shade and there's just like smudges all over the place. Cause they were trying. I mean, you're grasping at straws something. Sinister Hood, will be right back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts
2: Because she was attacked from behind and the lack of defensive wounds shows I don't think she ever even had a chance to turn around and and you know put a hand up. She Didn't have the opportunity to like grab hair, scratch skin, Mm -hmm. anything like that to be under her fingernails. And if the entire attack is happening from behind, the perpetrator also doesn't really have to touch her. You, I mean, if she falls to the ground after the initial attack and then it's just continued, you know, it's, they did it in a way where they knew they weren't going to have to fight her much, which is makes the whole situation even more disgusting.
1: And very chilling to think that she yeah. turned her back on them, trusting them, thinking, I'll show you this next area. And that's when the attack occurred. And you're right. If, she, if they attacked her from behind, she can't personally have any d- evidence on her as far as like scratching or biting, but also couldn't have tried to get away, scramble, move, anything mm-hmm. that would have gotten her out of this kind of cornered area where she was in that upstairs bedroom, bathroom area. So it's, I think it was thought out and I know that the, the builder was, um, you know, they took his DNA and fingerprints to exclude him, which I would have excluded him just because if you buy, if you built a $900,000 house, you want to sell it. You don't want to commit a horrible crime inside of it. So I, why they chose that house, I think it was just opportunity. I don't think it had to do with the builder. I think it was, there was a house that she would be willing to go into that was empty and. Kind of secluded.
2: It seems like she was targeted because if these two people are just wanting to kill someone, to to kill someone, I think there are easier ways to go about that. But to find someone's personal cell phone and know that they are a new real estate agent, oh, okay, we're going to lure them in with this carrot of this huge listing. They knew how to get her there. And if it was, if they just wanted to kill anybody, then they could have killed anybody. But it seems like they wanted to kill Lindsay specifically.
1: Yeah. And you're right. And I think, and it's strange the manner in which they did it. If it was some type of a hit that, you know, we'll get into in some of the theories in part two and whatnot, because like I said, she was friends with everybody. Some of the people she was friends with from the old days later that month had gotten busted for drugs and she'd been in contact with them and whatnot. But even so, if you told me, oh, this is a hit from a, you know, a drug trafficking ring or something, the brutality of it doesn't indicate to me a hit. I imagine you would get someone to an isolated location and maybe a silencer, you know, just take care of who you got to take care of and leave. But in this case, it was very aggressive, brutal, violent. The descriptions of what happened to her, her dad tends to say, you know, she was stabbed over 40 times. Police documentation says she was stabbed a significant number of times. So it just seems like a lot.
2: Information has come out by her dad that police and other in Capital Daily too have kind of dispelled is that isn't what happened. He he went out saying um, that certain parts of her body were intentionally targeted, like her breasts were mutilated and the coroner and everyone has said that's just not true.
1: Yeah. And that's what happened in uh, his interview with, I believe it was with Dateline. He said her throat was slashed and that they specifically targeted her chest area. And then, yeah, when Capital Daily got all the the records out. So it's a man in grieving. And his daughter is interviewed on Investigation Discovery, Sarah, Lindsay's sister. And she said, you know, we all grieve differently and I don't have it in me to turn over every single leaf. I'm so, so sad and I miss my sister so much. I don't have it in me, but that is seems to be Jeff's way of grieving, which is whatever it takes. I'll go on every show. I'll, you know, organize people, whatever it takes. And you can't fault a parent for that, but it does make it difficult for reporting and trying to, I'm sure police are like, we're trying to get real information out there. I think we've seen
2: it in other cases too. Yeah. A grieving parent I mean, you can't fault them for for how they grieve and what they want to do to try and honor their, their child's life. If it impedes investigation or implicates people that are potentially innocent and defames them, that's when you start getting into some trouble. Because as we'll get into in the next one, Jeff is pretty convinced that um, Jason and Shirley were behind this. And something that it should be noted, Lindsay's mom does not agree with. So even Lindsay's own family are very split in what they think happened.
1: Yeah. And I think if you want to take that theory of could it have been Jason? I don't know that being at the scene of the crime at a, you know, as covered in her blood, the one to discover her body, all that. I will discuss more theories as we discuss more evidence along the line. But first blush, first gut, I would say, The fact that there were two other people involved and no indication that he was in contact with them and you know hired them or whatever, I I just am so confused as to who these people are. Do you think they knew her personally is my question to you? No, but I do
2: think that they were hired by someone to kill her.
1: Yeah, they seem like maybe they weren't professional killers, but they were criminals willing to do this. I also think that the people calling her might not have been the people that showed up. And that's what I wondered too, if the person on the phone was one person and then the blonde headed lady there, that's why if Lindsay thought that she had an accent, it didn't match because yeah. yeah. Well and the the
2: the phone that was calling her, they traced that back and it was a burner phone. Yes. And it was never used again after Lindsay's murder. Yes. So it uh if if you know that's just gotten rid of i think at one point they
1: did determine it was registered to someone i believe the name was paulo rodriguez yeah they said it was bought at a vancouver convenience store a few weeks before the murder it was activated just before the very first phone call to lindsay And then it was never used afterwards. But they said, you know, it doesn't take much to register one of those phones. It was a pay as you go. You go give a convenience store $20 in cash. They'll give it to you. And to turn it on, you just need an internet connection. And then you go to this website, type a phone number, and you could type Bert Nerney. You could type any name you want. It doesn't matter. It can be anything. So they determined Paolo Rodriguez was a fake name and that the surveillance footage at the convenience store where it was purchased was long gone by the time they traced it. But the fact that, A burner phone was purchased shortly
2: before the calls were made and then never used again. Definitely shows that it was premeditated and that the intent was to kill Lindsay specifically. I don't think this was a random murder. I think she was targeted and the people that uh, wanted her dead knew how to get her out there. And then so if I was a cop, I would look at, well... Who who knew that this would get her out there? Who was close enough to her to know that, you know, she has a personality where she's not going to say, no, I'm going to do it all. I don't want anybody else to do this for me, you know, and... Or come with me and sp- yeah. do it with me at the same time. And I'm not saying that Shirley or Jason had anything to do with it. I'm just saying, if you know someone has the personality where you can offer something, and you know that they're going to decline it then you can offer it and not be really worried that you're going to have to like make good on that
1: promise fair enough yeah or you know the killers have been told you know, meet her at this house and they go, well, isn't she going to get somebody to come with her? Isn't this like a weird thing? And it's like, not with her personality. No, she's not. And so again, it's like we say, anytime uh, somebody is scammed or taken advantage of or whatever, it's like, that's just people being pretty good at what they did. They were really good manipulators. The fact that they knew what buttons to push to get her out there. And then also on top of that, to leave almost no trace. I mean, even the phone, no trace. And they did say they tracked the phone moved from Vancouver across a ferry to Vancouver Island the day before the showing. Yeah. So there was some tracking based on cell phone tower pings and whatnot, but nothing concrete enough to, to track down who bought it and exactly what happened to it afterwards, even. No, but they do think that based on the cell phone
2: tower pings that this man and woman went to the area ahead of time to scout it out, to familiarize themselves with it and also get an escape plan.
1: Yeah. And that's such an. And you're right with the going out the back. I wonder if the plan is look normal, walk right out the front door and just keep walking. And the neighbors will say, oh, that was the people in the house showing the real estate agent Mm -hmm. must still be inside. And then if that doesn't work, we noticed in the back, there's a fence post that's out or, you know, a board of the fence we can climb through. Or you take that board out in case you
2: need a backup plan.
1: Yeah, you just kick it out while you're there and say, "Well, now we have we have an escape route in the yeah. back." It's so eerie to me. Any type of a premeditated murder, it's extremely eerie. You know, if, especially if it's somebody close to you. Right? You hear about a spouse, you know, had been slowly poisoning someone or had purchased a gun and you know hid it under the bed or whatever. But this is so eerie in a different way because it's total strangers that you don't even know exist for yeah. possibly weeks before are specifically- sure know you exist. They know you exist and apparently they know where you are, where you live, your personality, what you're willing to do, your hopes and dreams, because they know how to take advantage of that. And to take a ferry ride, knowing that you're casing out a joint in order to kill someone in is it's so sick and eerie. And it, I think that also, though, gives you a little bit of an insight as to what type of person would be willing to commit this. That, like yeah, They I do d- it. It's not new.
2: No. And I think that I'm sure they were paid to do it. And, yeah. you know, if they're Hitman, then that's that's what they do. So to them, it's just a job. To mm-hmm. everyone in Lindsay's life, they've just lost a sister, a daughter, a, a loved one, a friend, a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And for what? Yeah, Why, think- what was the motive? You know, did she? And there's speculation as to she saw something she might not should have with like these friends that were involved in drugs. Or there's speculation that. Jason and Shirley were involved, that he got wind that she wanted to break up. And, you know, I mean, that's the tale as old as time. The motive is what is really preventing, I think, um, someone being arrested in
1: this case. Yeah, and movement. And I think you're right. And I think part two is we're going to break down theories where the investigation has gone so far. But that's a it's a good point that if you told a 24 year old real estate agent, you'll be killed by a hitman. You would just go, why me? Why nobody cares what I do? I don't, I'm not involved in anything. And that's what the police said. And Lindsay's friend said she did not do drugs. They said she would go out and drink and party and go to bars and stuff. But the police have said in interviews, her friends, she was friends with everybody. And she would go to bars and she was maybe friends with people from previous life, from either high school or college, earlier days, or kind of her social non-professional friends that would either partake in illegal drugs or maybe had some relationship to that. But it seems like such a tenuous relationship to the point that the amount of planning, preparation, and risk it would take mm-hmm. to do this because those people had to travel to this island to do it. And whoever paid them, you know, had they got caught, that was a risky and the whole operation is very risky to think that she was some sort of a linchpin in somebody's, you know, criminal enterprise. It it does not track with any of the evidence. I mean, they've gone through her computer and her phone that she wasn't like some criminal mastermind. It just seems like a lot of work to yeah. kill someone. So innocent. it does. It does. We'll get into part 2 of what was found and what
2: possibly wasn't found on her computer and cell phone and theories and and more. But like we said at the top, this is still an open ongoing case. So if you have any information, Heather, where can they where can they call?
1: You can contact the Greater Victoria Crime Stoppers at 1 800 222 TIPS, the Stanish Police Department, or LindsayBuziakMurder.com, which is run by her father. So they'll, I think uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police have looked into it. I think any Canadian, or frankly, maybe even United States, but ideally in Saanich or Victoria, any British Columbia law enforcement agency is definitely aware of this case and definitely looking into it and would welcome any tips. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back.
2: We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. Speaking of Patreon, we've recently updated our tiers and have changed things around right now. So if you've been thinking, "Ah, I don't know, do I want to join? Now's the time to join.
1: It's a great time to join. And we've got all kinds of fun stuff. On Patreon, we do our monthly Q&As where it's basically, yes, are we asked questions? Certainly. But we also just hang out with everybody <laughs> for over an hour, sometimes longer. We we get a little wild on there. We've got all of our audio content. We have some video content for the Rolling the Airwaves tier. with some. Uh, we have our behind-the-scenes footage from our Oregon trip and things like that. So you can just peruse, I would say, hundreds of hours without re- reservation. Hundreds of hours of back content Right when you sign up, you get immediate access. Yes. Some of the sweet perks are ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those the are rolling the airwaves and getting into it tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And our patrons in the Getting Into It tier are also able to vote on a bonus content segment each quarter that they would like to see us live stream. And the next live stream is going to be in June. So you still have time to sign up Um, and the date will be TBD. But if you sign up now, you'll get to see all the past live streams too. You also can vote
2: on episodes for the main feed topic. And this episode was what the Getting Into It patrons voted on. There you go. So you have a say on the show for everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions.
1: For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option of paying pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member
2: tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you
1: stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop on the top banner. You can support the show fast, easy, and at no cost to
2: you by rating, reviewing, and following on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Speaking of reviews, you can easily leave one by going to sinisterhood.com slash reviews. Yours may even be featured on our social media. Have a friend who you think would like us? You can share any episode with them by clicking the three dots in the top right corner. You can also share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting
1: sinisterhood.com slash playlists. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod, and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on YouTube and TikTok. On YouTube, you can watch our best of Patreon clips. You can also watch our full-length Freaky Friday guest story interviews, and you can listen to the show on there. We're also on TikTok and Cameo. If you don't know what Cameo is, it is a way for you to book your personalized video shout outs. So whether you want us to say happy birthday, happy anniversary, you got this. I love you. Good luck. Congratulations. Whatever the message is for the Sinisterhood fan in your life we would love to deliver it so go to cameo.com search Sinisterhood, and we'll present your personalized video message for you we've been getting some mother's day ones if have a wife
2: or a mom that's into the show perfect better way to say i love you i know what you're into i know what you like than having us say it for
1: you we'll say and we can say anything you want us to say that's true I mean, within reason, but yeah. I was just thinking, like, you're the best mom in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a also, lot of best
2: moms in the world at this time of year.
1: Oh, there's so many. Every world's greatest. <laughs> world's greatest. Speaking of world's greatest mom, where can people find you online? Oh, well, thank you so much. I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on the internet on Instagram at Heather versus the world. Same with TikTok. And I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey everybody! Thank you so much for supporting the show. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts: Carrie Lynn, Erica Simonetti, Pole, Amy Baldwin, Lauren Ibarra, Megan, Rosanna, Allswell, Chrissy Renee, Grace Arbon McNulty, Jen Decker. Jordan L,
2: Sarah Washburn, Shannon V, John Jagerline, Arion Irvin, Sabrina Schroeder, Elizabeth Kurth. Amber E Wilburn, Sarah Call. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We sincerely appreciate. All your love and support. We hope you pronounce your names correctly. We also have a couple of other shout outs. We'd like to do some thank yous from people that have been so nice and given us just the loveliest gifts at live shows and also
1: mailed them to us. So, so nice of y'all. Thank you so much. Uh, we, we've got a list to go through. So here is the first go round. Sarah Claire in Denver. Thank you so much for our Overlook Hotel photograph. Oh, my gosh. We have been
2: memorialized. Memor- we have been memorialized along with Jack Nicholson. Yes. In the shining picture. It's fantastic. We love it
1: jaw dropped love it and made it home safe and sound in the poster bag we also want to thank from the austin q a rebecca who mainly we want to thank hendrix rebecca was the messenger we definitely want to appreciate you and thank you for bringing hendrix's message but hendrix is rebecca's son he loves our cryptid episodes and he wrote us a very awesome note and drew us a picture which i have here with me in the studio may i say i told ella about this and she
2: has insisted upon seeing this note i've got it we can she, uh, she she wants to physically hold it and see it i told her you've got it and we got to get it over
1: here so she can I see will. it you know it, I love your cryptid stories and my favorite cryptid is the Loch Ness Monster, Hendrix. It's beautiful. Aww. I will scan in this so I have a copy forever and then I'm happy for us to put it in your studio so Ella can visit this Nessie drawing anytime she wants. She's got to meet Hendrix. I feel like oh, they'd be besties. They would be. And speaking of Nessie, Aaron Roberts also at our Austin show crocheted us some amazing little treats little people. Oh I got a ghost gosh,
2: so cute.
1: There's a Nessie and a ghost for you and I. I I assumed you would want the Nessie again, so that Ella could have it at the house. <laughs> and then she also crocheted two baby Kraken—one for Simon and one for They're Ella. And- so cute, so dang
2: cute! Thank Crocheting you. is such a fantastic talent. Like to be able to do it well, I'm always amazed. And these are just professional level.
1: It's next level. If you told me you could crochet a square, I'd be like, "God damn, you're talented. Yeah. That's amazing." A scarf, a blanket. The fact that these are 3D shapes that Mm -hmm. are stuffed that are, I mean, they look like you would buy them at like a boutique store because they're very beautiful. And so we thank you very much, Erin, for our our new stuffies. Well, thank you so much, Erin
2: Hendricks and Rebecca also. (laughs) And (laughs) Rebecca did say, Hendricks said, if they talk about me on the podcast, let me know. So Hendricks, this is officially us saying, You're awesome. We love you. Thank you so much for enjoying our show and for the beautiful, sweet note. We couldn't love it more. And you are a super cool kid.
1: Amazing. We love you. And thanks, Sarah Claire, for our photo in Denver. And in the mail, mailbag, we got a big old box of books from our friend Rachel that some of them are magic books. One's about urban legends and cryptids. There's another one about the history of the dark arts. One about unleashing your inner power. Alchemy of your dreams, strange frequencies,
2: everything we love basically in a box in book form. We're going to trade them off as we each read them. We'll give them to the other ones so we can both enjoy them. It's so nice when you guys do stuff like this. It is not at all expected, but it's always appreciated. So thank you so very much. We appreciate you. Thanks. Sinister.